Straight Talk Live. Off. Should we get started? Let's go. Let's let's crack on. It's okay. a beautiful day in London. It's also a beautiful day here in San Diego. They buy things to impress people that they don't even like. You do have to change the culture. The culture in the organization is the most important. It's as if reality is splintering into multiple shards. Welcome to Straight Talk Live. I'm one of your co-hosts, Rick Snyder. I'm the author of Decisive Intuition and the CEO of Invisible Edge and one of the co-founders of this amazing not-for-profit show where we dive into the heart of, of human, digital, and social transformation. And I'm very excited about today's show. We have a, an amazing return guest, Dale Kutnick, that we'll introduce in a second. But really diving into this whole world of crypto that everyone's talking about these days. Uh, and even deeper than that, along with that, is around blockchain technology and tokens. And what does all this mean for your business, your personal investment uh, strategies and, and beyond? But before we go any further, I'm going to introduce our amazing co-host, Af Maholtra. Af, take it away. Thank you, Rick. Welcome, everyone. Delighted to be on the show again. And yet again, we have a fantastic guest, returning guest, in fact. So, of course, I'm, a, I'm the co-creator of this show as well and um, the co-founder of Growth Enabler. Uh, actually, since, since we started this uh, endeavor, this mission, I've spent a lot of my time, it's been life-changing for me, um, in the world of philanthropy. So, not only have I um, dedicated my mind and energy to doing good for society at a much higher level, I'm um, uh, about to set up my own foundation to try and eradicate hunger in the United Kingdom, believe it or not. So not Africa or India or anything like that. We have our own problems in, in, in the UK and it's, um, it's such an amazing experience I've had over the last year or so. Uh, one, of the, one, of the, one of the most important takeaways for today really is that um, as you think about prosperity and growth, you also have to think about um, some of the dark side of um, new technologies and this whole area of crypto, blockchain, um, NFTs, tokens and so on. Uh, you know, I've had people pick up the phone and call me and ask for advice, and I've said I can't give any because, frankly, I don't really know um, what the the bright or the dark side is. There's a lot of upside here. Loads of people have made money. I know I know people who have become millionaires personally uh, on Bitcoin, and uh, I, and I won't talk about who they are and how old they are, but they're certainly younger than I am. And there are people who've lost a lot of money, and the average person has lost a lot of money with the fluctuation on on things like Bitcoin. Um, so today's session is very important. Um, I'm hoping Dale will enlighten us and there'll be a lot of questions. I know a few people who are past guests have been on the, uh, on the show before have, have come on today who are also buried in blockchain, immersed in crypto, understand NFTs pretty well. So ask us questions. Let's have a proper discussion over this. So I'm going to kick over the football to you, um, not because England lost just because the World Cup's coming up next year. And uh, why don't we um, crack on with the proceedings, Rick? Okay. Uh, so once again, our uh, Dale Kutnick is going to be joining us right now. And he is an SVP at Gartner and former uh, board member, um, also the founder of the Laura and Dale Kutnick Foundation. Um, has been incredibly successful career, mentor to many CIOs and uh, incredible entrepreneurs as, as well. And so, Dale, welcome back to Straight Talk Live. Thanks a lot. Uh, my pleasure. This will be fun. So, Dale, let's go right into it. Um, obviously, you've been in the space for a long time around the digitization of money 
and what's been happening in the trends of that in the last you know couple decades actually, and every all the movement that's been leading towards this direction. Um, let's just start with just some basic definitions, if you will. Um, when you hear like what is, what is blockchain? What are NFTs? Give us a little just simple uh, background on that. Yeah, so let's just start at the top. Blockchain is basically nothing more than a distributed ledger. Uh, with a specific protocol uh, that is attached to it that enables uh, people to either move information. Uh, usually it's, it could be information about things, uh, virtual things, uh, could be even physical things. But uh, NFTs, uh, non-fungible tokens, which have uh, taken off uh, in the past uh, year or so and uh, is now a multi-billion uh, multi-billion dollar market, uh, there have been NFTs sold for tens of millions of dollars. And again, these are abstractions typically of something like an abstraction, a, a, a digital version of a painting or a digital version of a photograph or of a video. That, that's what a non-fungible token is. We'll, we'll talk more about that in a minute. But uh, the real, you know, when you get right down to it, and the, yes, those work on a blockchain. So a blockchain is nothing more than a way to move and store, there's definitions about how you store it, obviously, as well. Uh, it's stored on various uh, systems. Uh, miners, in the case of Bitcoin, uh, you know, keep track of what's going on. Uh, allegedly, it is decentralized. Uh, governance is uh, allegedly, you know, in the uh, group. But uh, the vast majority of blockchains actually are not decentralized. They're not anonymous, which... Uh, Clearly, people think they are, but, you know, governments have gotten wise to it and they just follow along and they keep track of it anyway. So for the, most people, don't count on anonymity. So if you're a criminal, just joking, but the vast majority of Bitcoin transactions are still about speculators uh, and, and we'll call it the black market. But less than 5% of actual transactions, we're talking billions, uh, you know, in any uh, given day or two. Uh, that take place uh, in Bitcoin or Ethers or so on uh, are nothing more than people buying and selling. It's speculation. Uh, obviously, ransomware uh, is often paid in Bitcoin. I'd say more, more, more often than often. Uh, it's uh, you know pretty regular. And yet, you know, as an example, the FBI was able to find a wallet for the last uh, big uh, uh, we'll call it ransomware attack on infrastructure down uh, an oil company in the south. Uh, and they were able to recover most of the money. So keep in mind, for those of you who think that this is anonymous and it's all black market, only if you're pretty skilled at hiding uh, who you are. Those uh, And as an example, Coinbase, which is one of the larger exchanges along with finance, Coinbase is a public company where it changes pretty dramatically every day, but roughly you know $40 billion as an exchange. Uh, it's like a bank. Of, of sorts, and it will match and mix and match currencies. Uh, but as an example, a third of their employees, a third uh, of their employees, I might be off by a little, it may only be 25%, but it's an enormous are in compliance. They want to make sure that the government knows is, is okay, it's a public company. So they, mm -hmm. uh, what they really do is they enable you, you know, kind of grease the wheels uh, of, uh, you know, the uh, cryptocurrency by enabling people uh, to buy and sell Bitcoins or Ethers or exchange. Mm -hmm. I think they have about 40 different uh, cryptocurrencies that they work in. 
So back to the question about the definition. It is, you know, despite all the uh, uh, noise about it, it really is just, it's a protocol more than anything else. And it's approach to doing, uh, I'll call it uh, decentralized uh, management of information that people want to share. So uh, thank you for that, Mm Dale. So let's talk a little bit, let's stay on blockchain for a moment, because I think it's the foundation block of the next two things that we're going to talk about, crypto and then NFTs. And they're more saucy, uh, hot potatoes, as as we might want to call them. So with blockchain, um, I'm going to ask you really simple questions, not because our audience is not aware, but I think sometimes it's important to ask really simple questions and then it reveals a lot more. So firstly, why, why do we need something like a blockchain? Wasn't it just fine? I mean, what's the problem here? Yeah, so that's a great question. Uh, So we don't. That's the answer. The simple answer is we don't. Uh, It it, it is a, uh, you know, for those who are interested in anarchy, uh, you know, originally hiding uh, their transactions, things like that. That's pretty much the only reason uh, why there be a blockchain. Um, But, you know, a lot of the things that are done on blockchains could be done you know, in any kind of distributed ledger, you, you know, blockchain, again, just defines a protocol. I, I would say, you know, if you were to go back uh, to, uh, you know, way back in history, you know, when we started exchanging information, whether it's point of sale data or other kinds of data, you have to have protocols and standards for doing that. The internet is a great example, right? When it first, you know, kind of leapt into the public after the initial, uh, Mr. Surf, uh, you know, did it, you know, as part of uh, DARPA and so on. Um, sure, uh, you know, it was uh, the internet had all kinds of protocols. You guys that are old enough, if you went back 25 or 30 years, might remember the struggles and the, yeah, it all got standardized. So right. now the problem that we're having, uh, of course, is every country seems to be taking control of their own internet, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, restricting access, like in China, certain things can't be posted. That's mm-hmm. certainly happening here uh, in terms of uh, what Facebook and Google are doing with Trump, as an example, right? They're limiting it. Now, he can always go find another venue and put it on the internet, at least for now, couldn't do that in China, uh, because uh, the Great Wall censors that. And there are lots of authoritarian regimes, uh, Cuba, Iran, uh and even semi-authoritarian regimes like in India, where they do limit access to it, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I think that uh, to answer your question very simply, do we need it? Probably not. Uh, is it going to enable more, uh, you know, the whole goal was to make uh, transactional uh, uh, environments a little bit more fluid, you know, less friction, that was the claim. In other words, we're going to make it cheaper. Well, so far, blockchain transactions actually are pretty expensive compared to other transactions. That's one of the reasons people don't buy and buy things with it, or I should say people don't accept it. Tesla originally was accepting it, then it didn't. But also the volatility, the cost of transactions is still relatively high. Actually finalizing uh, a transaction uh, in uh, in bitcoins because of the consensus. In other words, you have to have all of the different uh, nodes, right? Say, yep, we got it. Yep, it's okay. And then, but that can take minutes, sometimes hours. I, I've even seen sometimes days to actually finalize. But in that meantime, 
the the value could change, right? And so if you bought something in Bitcoin, I'm looking at F, uh, you know, if I bought a car from you and uh, when Bitcoins were $50,000, you know, I could have bought a low-end Tesla, I suspect. Um, unfortunately, you know, Bitcoins are now roughly 30 or $31,000. Um, if they hadn't, you know, exchange that immediately for dollars, they'd be out, you know, 40% of the price. And that is one of the problems, mm -hmm. uh, aside from the cost of transactions. And uh, as an example, uh, you know, Coinbase charges fairly high commissions and they get it because they're one of the only games in town that actually do it. So do we need it? No. Uh, is it potentially useful? Absolutely. So where I think it's going to go, by the way, and where it really does get useful are ways that you would lock up. So, for instance, uh, you know, personal privacy, uh, healthcare records. Yeah. Uh, this hasn't happened yet. There's some experiments. But the idea that I own my own personal health record, my genomic profile, you know, all of my health records, and I get to decide who can look at it. Right. I can right. give them permission to look at it. That would be very useful for a blockchain, right? Mm -hmm. That And blockchains would be extremely useful. Now, am I really going to keep a copy of my personal health record on my uh, PC or, you know, on my uh, Mac or whatever, when it's in the future could be 10 or 20 terabytes of information? Imagine moving that one around. Mm -hmm. The answer is no. It'll be kept in some kind of a vault. I will have the key and I will give any doctor or insurance company, whatever, access to that. But that would be an example of where, uh, you know, a blockchain would be incredibly useful, right? Mm -hmm. But I will make a point. Look, we have trading stocks, for those of you who were around 30 years ago, used to cost 25 cents a share on NASDAQ. Today, it's maybe a penny or two or free uh, in a lot of cases. Right. So there is no friction in trading equities, bonds, uh, currency trading. All of that is, I'd say, not entirely frictionless, but pretty damn frictionless. You know, the idea of eliminating middlemen. Yeah, I, I get it. Uh, it sounds great. Uh, the middlemen don't want to be eliminated. So that's, you know, that's going to be a problem. That said, right, we already have cryptocurrencies. I would argue what uh, Alibaba with Ant does with uh, Alipay or, uh, you know, if you look at WeChat, uh, you know, those types of uh, companies uh, are already, you know, pretty well down the cryptocurrency, but they don't call it a cryptocurrency. It doesn't necessarily run on a blockchain. Ali has a couple of blockchains that's trying out uh, for doing trade finance and things like that. The blockchain is a small B, right? You know, mm -hmm. all of the cool stuff that Ali is doing for its trade finance is the fact that it really understands its customers on both sides and it's better at managing credit. So mm -hmm. people talk about, oh, smart contracts. That's a great use of blockchain. It's like in concept. But if you think for a minute that the lawyers are going to allow that to eliminate the lawyers, right? That's what they thought in Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, too. They sent them off to another planet, right? Um, joking aside, uh, what ends up being disputed in most contracts isn't what the contract says. It's the interpretation mm. of the language. Mm. So you got both sides agree to the contract. Yeah, we agree. This is the contract. But the interpretation of that blockchains don't handle that at all. All they do is verify that 
You and I exchanged information about a contract at a given point in time. We updated it here and we've got a record of that. That can all be done in a distributed ledger. Mm -hmm. So a distributed ledger is not the same as a blockchain because the blockchain is the protocol that sits on top of correct. DLT? That's correct. That is correct. Um, so blockchains typically, it is a distributed ledger, of course, but they have other things behind it. Uh, so again, distributed ledgers have existed for you know, forever. I mean, it's just you basically just replicate a database or a transaction or something like that. Uh, yeah, the middlemen take a small piece, but it's a very small piece. I would argue, you know, in many ways, what's happening in stock trading, a lot of that is distributed ledgers anyway. I have my own ledger of my own stocks. I know what's going on. Is yeah. that kept at my brokerage? Of course. Um, is it decentralized? Not exactly, although I have a copy of it. I, yeah. and they send me records all the time. Yeah. So I guess the idea is if you have a distributed ledger, you needed one needed some sort of a protocol for different ledgers that are, are siloed to be connected to one another in a highly secure way. Is that what the blockchain is doing? Yes. And and so why couldn't we, are we saying we couldn't do that before? Uh, no, we could do it before. I would argue that's what, you know, examples of, uh, you know, networks like SWIFT or some of the other international, uh, you know, currency trading or, any other kind of custody trading when you exchange information, those have existed. Uh, you know, was there a little more overhead than we would have liked? Yeah, but that, you know, competition has pushed that down. The real issue, you know, and the nice thing about SWIFT, good news and bad news. The good news is they've defined a protocol that everyone accepts, much like, you know, sending point of sale data. You know, we finally have gotten standards around that. Those of you who recall, Back 30 years ago, exchanging point of sale data was an incredible pain. We finally got standards for that, you know, the internet and so on. All those are examples of standards. And so the real problem that we ha are having with blockchains, you know, this is good news and bad news. The good news is there's a lot of them. There's literally mm -hmm. thousands of blockchains uh, now uh, and places you can exchange. And that's the big problem is that You've got a lot of fraud out there, you know, billions of dollars annually. If we look back, you know, into uh, uh, 2019, it looks like there was, uh, according to uh, chain analysis that does analysis, there was nine billion in fraud, nine billion. You know, we could count. Uh, there are dozens of, uh, I'll call them cryptocurrencies that were flashes in the pan that basically closed down. And so because a lot of this is secret, you know, there was just a, three, I think it was over 3 billion, 3.6 billion in fraud uh, on a Bitcoin. Now, it wasn't Bitcoin's fault, but it was a exchange that set up in South Africa. And these guys were fraudulent. A bunch of people mm. lost money. I think uh, you, you guys mentioned that at the outset. Mm. Yeah. Can you make money in it? Absolutely. When it's going the right way. But if you bought Bitcoins at Forty or fifty thousand dollars, you're down 25, 30, 40 percent right now. Um, mm -hmm. You know, so it's a very it's volatile. Um, but going back to your question, uh, do we need blockchains? Again, I can think of some great uses, but because there are so many of them, the protocols are incompatible. And this is one thing that Coinbase does: it recognizes, I think it's forty, at least last time I looked, forty different cryptocurrencies and it will exchange. So in other words, it'll take uh, a position in it and allow people to exchange those, much like a bank does uh, or a brokerage, right? Um, 
So it'll match buyers and sellers and it will, it has a desk. And so it'll take a little bit of risk on it. That's why uh, companies like Binance and Coinbase exist. They're, they're adding legitimacy mm-hmm. right, to the I, whole idea. My guess is, is that it'll be public blockchains, right? That mm-hmm. end up, so these are all private. So public blockchains that governments will eventually form for managing healthcare, managing voting, you know, Estonia has done a lot of work in it. Uh, again, but the big issue still is if you're going to do it, you really have to get, you know, you need a government to make a decision or an international body to come up with format standards. You know, so people talk about exchanging information across, you know, you might have a pharmaceutical blockchain or an oil and gas blockchain. Yep. Uh, if a bunch of participants agree to a standard, it'll work, right? Walmart has one for doing uh, working with IBM Hyperledger, uh, something called food chain, you know, for managing uh, the verification of uh, that, yep, this was organically grown in certain fields and blah, 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 right? You know, you, you can track your lettuce based on, wait, I can take a UPC code or some other kind of marking on the uh, lettuce and I could absolutely go back and do that. I don't need a blockchain to do it. By the way, here's the problem garbage in, garbage out. How do I verify that the farmer, all I know is that the farmer put the information in. How do I know that he or she is telling the truth? In mm-hmm. other words, unless they took a picture of it, of their farm, and we all know those things can be fudged pretty easily. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Maersk has something called Trade Lens, uh, you know, for, that is, again, based on IBM's Hyperledger. Uh, but again, yeah, you know, it's blockchain inspired. It is a blockchain. Uh, it's not as decentralized as people uh, would think. It's certainly not anonymous. Mm-hmm. Um, most of the commercial blockchains are not. Look, we've been trying to get standards for exchanging pharmaceutical information or parts information for 40 years, and we still don't have it, uh, you know, in terms of, uh, and mm-hmm. could blockchains help that? Absolutely. Yeah, which one? Mm-hmm. That's the problem. That's and there are, you know, <laughs> I call it the Consultants Full Employment Act, mm-hmm. um, you know, because uh, if you look at all the consultancies a few years ago, we're pushing blockchains like crazy. Why? Mm-hmm. Well, they have to go in and implement it. Mm-hmm. They, you hire people to do that. And then it's ongoing because if a company wants to do a blockchain, they, uh, and in a particular way, then they have to integrate it into their ERP or finance or whatever. And that is a huge expense for right. commercial companies. So when a government does it, and we finally do have standards like we have for the internet or mm-hmm. you know other kinds of exchanges. Absolutely, I think that would be great. And that's still a few years off before we see that happening. Yeah. So, so, so Dale, go, go I just want to jump in real quick mm-hmm. is that obviously you're speaking to a lot of the risks and a lot of the hype around this whole technology space. Um, and I, and just as straight talking as we get here, one of the things that I've noticed is that there seems to be an age gap difference also. And what I, what I mean by that is I see a lot of people that are in their sixties on up a lot more critical about these technologies than the twenties, thirties, forties generation. And I wonder why that is, and I don't have the answer, but I, but I do notice an observation that way. Yeah, I have. Uh, absolutely. I think it's, uh, you know, the 
under 30s are probably, uh, you know, certainly the biggest participants. Why? Uh, much like uh, the traders and, you know, the meme stocks like GameStop and so on. We talked a little bit about that last time. I, I think that there's a, this is going to go back to what we talked about last time, but, uh, and, and just a quick digression, I think, and this is going to get us into non-fungible tokens as well. Look, people want to belong to something. You know, whether it's being part of a gaming group, whether it's being, uh, and I, I think of a movie that came out last year called The Social Dilemma. Uh -huh. uh, it was on Netflix. Yep. It looks at what the social, how the social networks are manipulating us. Our sense of belonging, right? Going back to our, our, as human beings, our sense of belonging, people are willing to give up their privacy. They're willing, you know, at, to belong to a group. That was kind of what that. Um, you know, and, and the social networkers like Facebook in particular, or, you know, in the case of uh, WeChat networks and so on, uh, all of those are, you know, incredible. You're part of a group, you know, whether it's QAnon, you know, we've seen that phenomenon, right? And so one of the things I'm convinced uh, of is that, yeah, there's a group and you're, you're or a tribe, whatever you want to call it. And we see more of those. I think you guys mentioned that at the outset. And so, yeah, there's this sense that I'm part of a group. I can share information. And the internet was the start of it. This is just a subset of that that links people together. And of course, older people are less, let's just say, fluent in that kind of thing. They do less day trading. It's not that they don't do any. Right. right. I mean, my, people our age, my age and so on. Yeah, they play it. And I think more of them have seen this movie before. So they're a little more skeptical. Mm -hmm. um, and if you talk to the Gen Z's and millennials or any, you know, those groups that are uh, playing it, they would say, yeah, you know, we, we recognize that we might lose money. It's again, the day traders, the Robin Hood kind of things that went out with the meme stocks and bid up a restaurant in New Jersey to billions of dollars. And, uh, you know, it's a restaurant in New Jersey. Let's get serious here. I mean, it's a physical restaurant. Uh, and so I, I think the sense of belonging is what is driving a lot of these things. And I'm not judging whether that's bad or good. All I can tell you is it is manipulatable. That's the issue. So if we get to something like NFTs, which are now you know, taking off, I think you guys talked about at the outset, people have made tens of millions of dollars in this, you know, selling an artifact of a painting, not the painting, yeah. the digital representation of it, or the picture of LeBron James dunk, or, uh, you know, Lionel Messi's first goal. These are selling for millions. And it's like, that's crazy, right? It's, all it is is a virtual artifact, but people pay big money uh, for instance, to get weapons in World of War or some of the other right. crazy games, right. right? Those are digital artifacts and they're right. paying money for it because mm -hmm. they're involved in it. Mm -hmm. It's really, really addictive, right? Much like other social media. And what NFTs are is just yet another example, yeah. non-fungible tokens, of this idea of belonging to a group that's playing in this game. So for instance, before this, and I'll, I'll draw an analogy, people used to collect um, in the U.S., not used to, they still do. There's a real market uh, for trading cards, yeah. like a Tom Brady rookie card recently right. sold, or a, you mm -hmm. know, for three million dollars. Wait, it's a piece of cardboard. Mm -hmm. um, but there will be NFTs of all that stuff, you know, or, nostalgia or, and what have you. Right. So a picture of somebody doing an outrageous uh, act, right? Uh, you know, 
I, I made a joke of, uh, you know, maybe uh, you could have a, uh, a video of Elton John defecating on the Queen's uh, lawn in Westminster. I'm making that up. But, you know, you could imagine somebody doing that, right? <laughs> um, there was a guy, uh, you know, on a YouTube guy that, uh, you know, had pictures of him defecating in various national parks and so on. But, um, you know, he became a YouTube star. Right? Yeah. Did he get money for it? Absolutely. Right. Yeah. Uh, people pay. If you're a YouTube star, you get sponsors. Right. Uh, but all joking aside, NFTs are a bit like trading cards. Right. I mean, it's it's just a digital representation of the trading card. You own the right right to that. And could yeah. you say fiat currency and the dollar is the same thing? Yes. Mr. Dale, 100%. let's go. Let's go. Let's go there, Dale. Yeah, a hundred percent. I would argue in modern monetary theory, which we talked about last time, the difference between cryptocurrencies and what the US government is issuing in scripts to the tune of trillions now, right? Uh, there's nothing backing that up. In fact, some countries uh, you know, have already uh, said they're going to, you know, a few countries. I think it was Nicaragua announced that they were doing, uh, you know, going to do cryptocurrencies. Venezuela, you know, these are down and out countries. I don't know who's going to buy their crypto any more than would take their debt before. But, right. you know, all joking aside, I would argue Alipay and WeChat, you know, as examples in China, uh, those are cryptocurrencies for all intents and purposes. Uh, mm -hmm. And, you know, again, the governments, once we stopped uh, pegging the value of our currency to how much gold we had in reserve, mm -hmm. we were on a path to moving to crypto anyway. So I'd say we're way down the path. And I'd say the past year with the issuance and if, if it not absolute acknowledgement, then tacit recognition that currencies are in fact fungible. Yeah. The middle initial of NFT. So it's not a non-fungible token, but yes, they are tokens of sorts. There's nothing backing them up. So U.S. dollar is a great example. The RMB, um, all of those things. If you looked at the total debt, you know, in uh, that countries, banks, consumers have. I don't know. I, last time I looked, it was like two hundred and twenty trillion dollars uh, and the GDP of the world uh, last year, I don't know, 60, 70, something like that. So three times. Yeah. Um, so we're already there. We're yeah. already there. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to, I wanted to just step back for a second um, and what's bugging me, it's a question around uh, trading and the, the, the popularity of what we're discussing today. We're discussing it because it's popular and everyone's involved in it in some way, shape or form or studying it. So let's go into popularity for a second. Uh, I wanted to ask you this question. Hopefully we have the answer amongst ourselves, which is uh, two things. And I'm going to go into class divide and wealth, right? I'm going to try, I'm trying to work out whether NFT, which is non-fungible tokens, and the buyers of that, the, the purchases are richer than the purchases and the buyers of cryptocurrency. Um, my, my guess is, and this is totally non-statistic based, right, is that cryptocurrency because there's so many and they're pretty useless a lot of them there's no they're not backed up with anything it's basically a fun gaming casino market for poor people or people who don't have a lot of money and why I'm, and I'm making this statement because young people in today's generation don't have a lot of money because of where we are economically right that they can't buy houses um they're not in the same financial position that we were even i you know in my, at my age i was in a position to buy properties someone who's my age right now cannot or get into my my stage so 
total generalization, the ones who want to get rich quick are playing around with cryptocurrency. And I don't know the stats of how many, how much of that trading is happening through hedge funds versus the individual retail investor. Very and little I, of and, it is in hedge, yeah, very little in hedge yeah, funds. Uh -oh. Right, and then, and then the other side is NFTs, which is rich people who've got loads of money, they've got billions coming out of their, you know, uh, drawers, hanging around, bit of self-actualization, bit of psychosis, bit of whatever it may be. Yeah, I've got three million, big deal, and you know, next party I go to, I want to talk about the fact that I saw the guy defecating on the Queen lawn and I own that image or that video. I don't know the answer, but I'm making, I'm presuming, and correct me if I'm wrong, that that has something to do with this, which is the demographic divide is not as simple as young people being more open to risk and old people not. It is also due to with this stuff. Um, yes, there's certainly a, a, a bit of the crowd that hopes to get rich quick as people have, you know, look, Bitcoins went from a few thousand dollars if you went back uh, to 2017 or 18. So, you know, it went, went up to 25, 30, at one point hit 60,000. What ends up happening, and people, I, 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 you know, it's been publicized. Business Week has come out with this and others. Uh, Bitcoin market is controlled by, you know, uh, maybe a dozen consortia that actually can control the market that own most of the Bitcoins. And yeah, they kind of leak them out and so on. Um, so, I think you're right. There is a notion of get rich quick. Uh, and, and we saw that in some of the meme stocks. They have nothing to do with Bitcoins or blockchain. As I you know, mentioned, the restaurant in New Jersey or you know, the uh, GameStop or some of the other crazy stuff that people are bidding up uh, you know, with no, uh, you know, maybe it was just showing that we can do it. That said, yes, there absolutely are people who are looking at this and playing the game to make money. I want to go back, though, especially, uh, you know, for a lot of millennials, it's that sense of belonging, of being mm -hmm. a part of a tribe, of being a part of a group. So the GameStop crew, you know, they oh, we're going to show the Wall Street traders that we mm -hmm. can, uh, you know, uh, do this as well. Well, of course, then the Titans step in. So you have people like Elon Musk, uh, you know, betting on it and riding it up. I, I don't know what he bought and sold that, but I'm sure he usually makes money in his transactions. You know, or, uh, you know, there's a number, actually, the I can't remember his name, but the guy uh, who just uh, died in a Spanish prison, uh, you know, who was the founder. McAfee. Of, McAfee. Matthew, oh, yeah. John Matthew, McAfee. That's right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I mean, he was a big, uh, you know, and uh, also the founder of MicroStrategy, uh, Michael Saylor. You know, has been, yeah, once you buy in, right, you want other people. And so Musk. McAfee, Sailor, you know, you get big names pushing it. Why? Well, they have a stake, right? And if the stake goes up, they make a lot of money. So there's that crew, absolutely. But then there's the naive people who want to belong, right? Especially around the NFTs. That, you, know, you belong to a group of trading cards. Oh, yeah, you know, but again, think about that. People, are, somebody paid $3 million for a piece of cardboard. And you know, they can't do anything with it because if they scratch it or whatever, it loses value. So they keep it in cellophane. They might look at it. But again, now imagine a digital version of that where you could actually look at Tom Brady's greatest hits as part of your NFT. I guarantee mm. in the next 12 months, somebody's going to come out with NFT trading cards, right? Where you own the right to that, but it will also incorporate depending on who has the rights to it, uh, you know, if they're smart, um, actually, I mean, this, I'm going to joke, but this is kind of funny, but 
So private, a bunch of private equity guys took over Playboy. Uh, right. Some of you guys are probably, that's millennials probably forgot about what that looks like. But, um, you know, if we look, or Gen Zs, I should say, um, you know, even more so. But, you know, for us boomers, we grew up with it, right? So uh, Playboy kind of went out of business, Chapter 11 or close uh, a few years ago, taken over by private equity for a song, you know, very cheap. Guess what? They have hundreds of thousands of uh, original photographs. So you want an original nude photograph of fill in the blank of movie stars like Marilyn Monroe or Jane, we got them. Uh, what do you want to bid on it? So they sold the first one a few months ago for $350,000. It's just a digital artifact. Now that's the beginning. I suspect you're going to see a bunch of that stuff mm -hmm. hit in the market mm -hmm. in the next 12 months. And mm -hmm. yeah, it rides on a blockchain big deal um but it's just a digital artifact and uh, you can trade it so um i'm i'm totally interested in the crypto conversation and the technologies that are happening in the different ecosystems as well is really fascinating to me especially around decentralization when you talked about sovereignty of our data whether it's medical whether it's social media i know there's some ecosystems that are being built on a social media decentralization platform and things of that of such nature where Facebook and other companies won't control our data in the future, ideally, or it would be a different landscape. Yeah, good so, luck on that one. Yeah, I'm curious how that plays out. I have no idea. Um, I like the theory of it. Yeah, yeah. So I think uh, in some places that will be mm -hmm. true. It's going to be dynamic tension of who owns the data, right? So yeah. in, in, in the U.S., the government's taking more, seems to be stepping in and, and trying to take more control. And you see that in California with the California version of the general data privacy and who can do what mm -hmm. and so on. And you see a lot of pressure, right? Mm -hmm. I, I call them the digerati on that. Even in China, there, there's pressure on them as well. Um, I think there was always a backdoor in China for the government to look at the data anyways at Ali and Tencent, uh, Tencent being the WeChat guys. Um, it seems like it's getting more intense in China and I think it's gonna happen in the US and everywhere else. In other words, this idea of privacy, it sounds great. Uh, it's kind of a lost cause, uh, in, in my opinion. That said, yes, you will have more control. I think that you will see companies coming out that are going to share. In fact, I can't remember the name, but there already is a, a social network company that says, look, we're gonna, we'll give you 80 cents of every advertising dollar that we use when we sell your data. Now, you want us to use it? Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. That's a pretty interesting, mm -hmm. you know, phenomenon. I can't remember the name of the network company that's so they haven't taken off yet, but this is the idea. Yeah. Let's see if they can make money at it. I mean, Facebook makes more money than God uh, at mm -hmm. this point, you know, because it controls the data. Um, but yes, there's going to be a dynamic tension between capitalists having the data and governments having the data. Mm -hmm. I think I know where this goes. In China, the governments are going to win. They will yeah. allow capitalists to have it but they, of course, share it. Uh -huh. And they will own uh, a piece of that capitalist entity that seems to be the direction they're heading in. Mm -hmm. uh, they won't necessarily control it. They're happy for Ali and uh, uh, Tencent to go and make billions outside of China. But in China, we're going to control it. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so I, I think you're going to see that dynamic tension over the next few years working across this environment. I'm not saying blockchains aren't going to happen. I mean, there's an initiative in Texas, the Texas Blockchain Initiative. 
not a surprise. Of course, it's Texas. Um, that's not a negative or a positive. It's just Texas thinks that way. Oh, here's another, you know, the next uh, oil futures or whatever. And we're going to get into this. So they're actually looking at a Texas blockchain. Um, you know, talk about, you know, I've talked to cannabis companies that are looking at the same thing. So I want to answer your question. I do think that the data is really an issue and blockchains sound great, but as governments take control of them, guess who's going to control the data? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think the governments are waiting to learn more and watch and, and, and kind of, uh, and then what they do, much like what I think is happening in China, they subvert the Digerati. Uh, yeah. Oh, you want to do business here? Uh, you know, Ali or Tencent or uh, more recently Didi, you're going to share your information with us. Yeah. Uh, all of it, right? Uh, not that they didn't do it before. They're making it known publicly that the government is going to oversee this. By the way, there's some really good stuff involved, uh, you know, if you, in contract tra contact tracing, you know, for things like uh, for COVID-19, Absolutely. That makes a lot of sense to put on a public blockchain. In other words, government run with the standards and the formats, right? So until we had EDI standards, for instance, those of you who are old enough to remember 35, 40 years ago when it first came out, it was all over the map. It cost a fortune. Now nobody even thinks about it. You know, SWIFT and those, there are standards for that. Could this become a new standard? Uh, the question is, which one? which blockchain, right. uh, but I suspect you're going to see the fiat currencies drive it. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So let's talk, I had two parts to this. One is um, just going to cryptocurrency just for a moment, and then we'll move into um, geopolitics for a second, because you have talked about China and you've talked about uh, India and you talked about the US, of course. By the way, quick point about China. China is now severely restricting the mining of Bitcoins. Right. Uh, they're shutting mm -hmm. them down. India is doing similar things, right? So governments are already taking control of some of the cryptocurrencies. Now, I suspect in the US, it'll be a little bit slower because we tend to be more free enterprise and capitalist and blah, blah, blah. Uh, but, you know, all of the authoritarian regimes, there is no way that they're going to allow anarchy, decentralization, all the, all the cool stuff. The good news is they will standardize on a protocol That'll be similar to, I think of blockchain as nothing more than a 21st century version of electronic data interchange for yeah. doing banking. And uh, we'll just call it, it uh, could be artifacts. A lot of it is artifacts. Cryptocurrency is clearly a virtual artifact. Uh, but now we have it for NFTs as well, right? You know, uh, you can, NF, I'm going to use a verb here. You can NFT, uh, you know, <clears throat> an event, a person, a photograph. Uh, you know, all kinds of stuff. You let your imagination run wild. That's where it's going. Uh, yeah. Playboy uh, centerfolds. Yeah, and almost it almost feels like um, operating in a virtual space where, uh, going back to the example of the card, where at school you would trade and barter a card with another friend. Now I'm doing it on online because I've created my online card and I'm creating supply and demand to say, well, I've I've got the original. If you value the physical. It, that's if you value the physical. What we're seeing is that the next generation values the virtual as much as we used to value the physical. A hundred percent. That's exactly right, App. A hundred percent. Yeah, it's like we don't want, we don't necessarily have to have a physical thing. We don't need ownership per se. We're going to own the right to it. A hundred percent. But back to, I, I do want to mention one back to belonging is also important because COVID 19, hell, it's been 18 months now, right? 
uh, has exacerbated mm -hmm. dramatically that need for belonging because our physical interactions, you know, for the most part yeah. have been what well, curtailed would be a uh, understatement, right? And so belonging to a I like the term tribe of some kind, you know, whether it's QAnon, whether it's uh, young Democrats or young Republicans, whatever it is, right? We want to belong. Humans have a need to belong. We're social animals and people have figured out how to exploit that. Yeah, yeah, yeah you're bang on. And I think we, funny you mentioned belonging because the last um, episode we had, we had a gentleman called Rush Shaw who um, is based in the UK, used to be the GM for Skype. He's doing some amazing work here in the UK around bridging, um, creating bridges between different countries on the tech side, tech, building tech hubs, and, and you know, is, is a wonderful man. And he's a master of community building, the network effects concept, physically, physically. And we talked a lot about how now virtually you've got to almost reconsider and rethink how one will build, build trust and relationships uh, in this new virtual environment exacerbated by COVID, right? So, and who controls it, right? That, that, that's, you know, and, and I think governments ultimately will, although if you watch Ready Player One, uh, yeah. As an example, which is, you know, cyberspace takes place, I think it's in 2035-ish, give or take, but that's 15 years from now. You know, COVID-19 merely accelerated, uh, merely, dramatically accelerated our move into the metaverse. We Most of us now work in the metaverse, right, right for our work, yeah. uh, for our, True. you know, the amount of time people are spending online is mm. unbelievable. So True. all of the... Uh, big vendors want to capture eyeballs, right? And, and if I know what you're doing and I can watch it and so on, I know how I can manipulate you, right? All of yeah. that is going on right now. Yeah, 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 absolutely. So let me ask you this question and you'll have a simple answer. And I, I want to ask this question. So we take away, um, no matter what happens in life and what sort of, you know, what, what sort of sort of journeys or pathways one takes, you know, you can do your own trading, you can make money, you can lose money. It's your journey. But I think sometimes when you spot something that is somewhat confusing, it goes against the grain of monetary theory, uh, fiscal analysis, business models, um, conventional thinking, unconventional thinking. It's super confusing, but pretty much like a Las Vegas casino. You have to call it out. And by the way, we might have got it to totally wrong and we're going to have, you know, um, uh, we're going to be the embarrassed ones. But a uh, question for you, really, and I know Rick will buy into this. Uh, there are a bunch of cryptocurrencies that seem to be born on a daily basis by random people. Individuals are doing their own, another guy's doing his own. Someone just can't, like um, Dogecoin, a brilliant one, even the guy who created Nobody's it. Nobody's doing it. Like Kodak announced one mm -hmm. uh, what, 18 months ago. Gary V's got his own coin. Yeah, yeah. Gary, you know, Gary Vaynerchuk, he's, he's, a, he's, he's one of those guys. He's got well, his own. Now, the go up about uh, 300% until they realize yeah. it was BS. So. <laughs> yeah. So my, my point here, and I, please, please give us your viewpoints, is that for those who are not um, institutional investors and, you know, the common man, the common person who's like, let's let's have a stab at this. You know, I put my $5,000, put a part of my pension, take some money out of my private pension, put it into this into this um, cryptocurrency. Because a lot of a lot of people are doing that because they all want to belong. Yes, but they also want to make some money because, no, no, of course, you know, of course. Um, so. I, I find it really confusing that, that none of these cryptocurrencies can be traded. I can't use it to buy coffee, really. I can't even really use Bitcoin at this point to buy coffee, like in the local shop at Starbucks, uh, maybe yeah. at, one, at one point. And even you, about, about, about four or five percent of Bitcoins uh, actually people use to, if that, it's probably less than that. But that, that's the current estimate. It's, it's, you know, a very small percentage are used to buy things. 
Right. So, so given that's the case, and given that anyone, just about anyone who gets the system can build a cryptocurrency or a token or whatever you want to call it. Correct. And, and, and one is trading and the supply and demand could be five to seven. You know, it could be anything. And you're literally just gambling, putting a dollar here, $10 here. Uh, isn't this destined for just destruction? Aren't the young generation, I don't care about the institutional investors for now, aren't people who don't have a lot of money going to really suffer? And who's going to help them? Forget about the trauma from COVID. We're just about getting over that trauma. A hundred percent. Yeah. A hundred percent. I Look, I, I'm a sophisticated investor and um, I do not invest in uh, this stuff it's because, uh, and I understand it. I, I have, you know, very good perspective on it. You know, at some point, you know, I might toy. I actually have, uh, I mean, I, I, I bought and sold Bitcoins a little bit, but not for anything other than it just as an excuse. If you do it, you keep track of it, mm -hmm. right? Uh, so uh, I have done it, but I do not. But I do invest, much like in the cannabis market, I call it in picks and shovels. So this is my advice to people on the call. Rather than investing in cryptocurrencies or even in the cannabis market, which is the wild west, uh, you know, in the U.S. now, um, I, what do you mean by picks and shovels? I, I'll go back. Trump's father, uh, grandfather, I guess, uh, made his money, I, I think, in the hotel and supply business for miners out in California. Mm -hmm. So companies like Coinbase and Binance as exchanges, right, or in the cannabis market, there are exchanges like LeafLink and so on. They're in the cannabis market, but they're not cannabis retailers or growers. They're the suppliers, right? They're, they're an exchange. So, mm -hmm. uh, you know, companies, uh, again, Bit, uh, Binance and, uh, uh, you know, Coinbase between them, you know, if you want to exchange or you want to uh, store your wallet or you want to store your Bitcoins, that's exactly, they're like custody, like uh Bank of New York, Mellon is a good example that does that in the real world, right? Mm -hmm. That's what these guys do in the virtual world, right? So those are the kind of companies that I'm not saying they're not speculative, you know, at Coinbase at a gazillion times earnings or whatever, but they do make money, right? right? But, you know, and how long can they keep charging, you know, a, uh, you know, you know, like five times the uh, uh, value of a transaction for what they do? Again, back in the 90s, you could get 25 cents a share, you know, for a, a NASDAQ stock. Um, can't do that anymore. You know, the spreads were huge. They're not anymore. They're now measured in stints, you know, sixteenths of a point. So all of that, as the markets become efficient, is going to go away. But to answer your question, yeah, a lot of people are going to lose a lot of money. And, and yeah, the sharks are going to make money. Absolutely. Just like they do, you know, in gambling and you know, think of horse or, you know, think of gambling and the manipulation that occurred before there was regulation. There is very little regulation today in uh, cryptocurrencies and certainly almost none in NFTs. That means that you're going to get bad actors, just like you had in the early days of horse racing or gambling or anything else, right? Uh, you're going to have bad actors. Can you make money at it? Absolutely. If you have a stomach for taking that, you want to screw around with it, absolutely. But uh, again, that's not my cup of tea. I do think that there will be markets for NFTs and all this stuff because I don't see that going away. Therefore, mm. the people behind the scenes that transact it, you know, and, yeah. and if I were to use an analogy in the IT world, yeah, Oracle sells databases and software. They don't have to figure out how to sell you more 
you know, uh, manufactured goods or what, you know, whatever people use their databases for, uh, you know, or their, uh, you know, ERP and so on. Um, yeah, so, you know, the, the guys that are supplying, the software guys, obviously, have had very good years. I look at Microsoft, you know, uh, biggest software, <laughs> one of the second largest market cap company in the world. Um, yeah, you know, people are buying more of that stuff, and they will buy more of that, right? Uh, as long as we're going to work online, and they're going to capture eyeballs. And so Microsoft's job now is, yeah. We want to keep you on our platform versus Google or Facebook or whatever. That's the game. Right. Mm, got, right. It. got it. Yeah. Thanks. So your advice is really ancillary services <laughs> that support this infrastructure. That's where you want to invest. Absolutely. Mm. If I have one piece of advice, yeah. I, and, and I, you know, forget the specific companies, but that's my advice. Find mm. the people that are supplying the infrastructure. I, you know, obviously, NVIDIA is a good example. Mm -hmm. You know, they were supplying the chips for a lot of the miners actually right. still are to some extent, although that market is kind of tailing off again, because miners are being outlawed in places like China because of the energy, likely in parts of the US, they're gonna be scattered. But you know, if you can get cheap energy, uh, then mining Bitcoins is, uh, you know, could be a big, uh, a big plus. So, you know, you build your data center up in Iceland Oh, by the way, that's already been thought of. Uh, people are doing that. Or up in northern Canada, out in the middle of nowhere, absolutely. And as long as you can get the, uh, you know, some kind of 5G out of there, we'll have those with low Earth orbit satellites uh, by the end of uh, this year, likely or certainly early next year. Yeah, that's going to change the game. Mm -hmm. Got it. So let, let's talk briefly. I had a question around geopolitics, and um, we talked about how certain countries are limiting. Um, mining and they're trying to the control uh, semi autocracies, you know, you know, and we know who they are or full autocracies and, and they have a certain modus operandi and they're doing whatever they need to do. If you look at the West, that's let's call that the East just because I'm giving it a label. And you look at the West and America's being the first one because it's the home of capitalism, the mecca of capitalism, and everything goes and everyone wants to make money and there's a certain mindset and so on. Um, and Make yes. money, yeah. and, and yes, it, indeed, and both they go together. So, um, if you think about, uh, if you think about uh, what's happened post COVID and sort of the and the jury's out. Some people say globalism is dead; it's not coming back again. Other people are other people are focused on the, the idea that the opposite of that is going to be localization, regionalization, nationalization, whatever you may call it. Let's imagine there's going to be a shift. Shifts will happen throughout the cycle of existence. What is the shift you see geopolitically today and what could happen with um, this alternative to the dollar? Because, you know, digital currency is only popular and interesting public and or private government or otherwise, because it's an alternative to the American standard, which is everything goes with dollar. Now, with China uh, being um, so much more powerful, soon being the, if not the first, definitely it's the second, being the first largest, um, most the largest economy in the world very soon. Um, how do you see this playing out around this concept of digital currencies? Is it fair to call it digital currencies rather than call it crypto? Yeah, no, no, that's fine. I think you can call it basically all currencies. Yeah, currencies are all digital now anyway. Yeah. So yeah. as we joked about the US, there's nothing backing up the 30 odd trillion in debt that we now have. You know, yeah. it's, uh, you know, almost two years of GDP here. So um, to answer your question, I... I I'm a globalist, so I'm, I guess, and an optimist. So I do hope we have more, uh, I'll call it coopetition as opposed to the rounds of uh, sanctions and tariffs and all that. I, mm -hmm. I think 
for a while, it appears that we're going to head towards neo-nationalism. Uh, I, I, I rue that, but it, it certainly feels like we're on that path. I don't know that Biden seems to be changing that. Uh, certainly his uh, uh, posture towards China doesn't look like it's going to be terribly cooperative. Uh, I, I think that's a mistake, uh, as I've said before, not because I love China. I just, you know, it's 20% of the world's population and it better be successful. Otherwise, mm. we're not going to have a planet to fight over. In other words, uh, you've got, you know, 1.4 billion people there. The population stabilized, but also in India, you know, between those two countries, you got 40% of the world's population, not to mention Africa, Asia, and so on. So forget the West. You know, mm. we're talking 10% between Europe and the U.S., you know, maybe 700 uh, million people. We're talking 10% of the world's population. And so to me, this idea, and I do think we're going to see neo-nationalism. Absolutely. I hope it's temporary. I, I, that is just, I, again, my own optimistic nature. I think it's going to get worse before it gets better. Uh, it really is up to Biden. And, and, the, and to me, it's up to the Biden administration, you know, whether we do this or not. Um, you know, accusing everybody else of their, uh, you know, uh, slave labor or doing this. And so, you know, it's like we're no angel, you know, supporting terrorism. Uh, we, you know, the Iran uh, nuclear deal, why don't just bring them in and, you know, subvert it a little bit. I think that, uh, you know, seems to work a little bit if we shared better. Yeah. I don't know that that's going to happen anytime soon. So I think we're going to continue to see at least for the next three or four years. Again, I, I'm sorry to say this, but I think we are going to see a rise of neo-nationalism, more protectionism, all of that, uh, less open borders, less sharing of information. But to go back to your point, uh, I want to talk about currency. So uh, for sure, uh, people outside of the U.S. and Europe do not are getting sick of the U.S. dollar and the U.S. getting to call the shots, right? Uh, as an example, uh, you know, U.S. decided it was going to sanction Iran, uh, you know, the JPOA stuff, despite all that. And yet Canada arrested uh, the uh, uh, CFO of Rahway, about a, almost two years ago now, uh, mm -hmm. that she's been under house arrest uh, because she violated, allegedly, U.S. sanctions on she and Rahway violated U.S. sanctions on Iran. And uh, there's an extradition, even though Canada did not uh, go along with the U.S. Kind of interesting, right? So there's a good example. It's like, come on, guys, this is kind of silly, right? Uh, the U.S. can unilaterally decide that we're going to boycott and everybody else has to boycott because if you want to, you know, transact with the if, if you want to belong. <laughs> right. Ultimately, that's right. Ultimately, you have to, that transaction occurs over SWIFT networks and dollars and so on. China is will do everything in its power to get out from under that idea mm -hmm. that the U.S. gets to control what yep. China does. And by the way, I think it's they're right. The U.S. Mm -hmm. can't use the fact that the dollar is the fiat currency to, you know, arbitrarily decide, or if not arbitrarily, let's say politically motivated decide uh, that it's going to exclude certain countries. I think that the world is going to react negatively to that. And we're going to see that over the next few years. And that's going to cause a rise, uh, or actually, I'd say foment a rise in alternative mm -hmm. fiat right. currencies. Absolutely.
Mm-hmm. Right, right, great, brilliant. We we have so much to talk about. We've run out. Of, we've run out of time again. Of but course. We have we have, um, we have one of our uh, past guests actually, who is uh, who is also very uh, proficient, enthusiastic about this subject. Martin Exus. Martin, thank you for um, making the statement. I'll, I'll read out what he's. I, I don't know if it's a question or it's a validation. So blockchain. Uh, this for you, Dale. Blockchain is um, only one innovation. Tokenization and smart contracts are more important because they allow decentralized autonomous organizations. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I'm not a, as uh, I think the idea of decentralized autonomous uh, organizations are. It's an interesting concept philosophically. I think that most corporations, you really think that Walmart or Alibaba or Amazon want decentralized organizations. Eh. You know, last time I looked, most of those companies are incredibly hierarchical. Mike, you know, all of the big titans uh, mm-hmm. in the uh, uh, market. Uh, could we see that happen? Yeah, I, I'm not saying that's not possible. By the way, I'm not. I think smart contracts, as I've talked about, if people can agree to it, but don't think for a minute that you're that's going to eliminate middlemen, especially lawyers. Um, they always find a way to <clears throat> let's just say get underneath all this stuff uh, or accountants. Um, so. I do think that we will see, you know, more movement in that direction. I'm not saying that's not going to happen. I think it's a pipe dream, the idea that we're going to have all this decentralization of governance and so on. Uh, I don't really see that happening. I think governments are going to take more control. Okay, good. That sums it up beautifully. Um, Rick, over to you to to sum up the proceedings. We've run out of time. So, um, but what what a fascinating session. Uh, Sum it up, buddy. Okay, um, awesome. That's my summary. <laughs> Absolutely <laughs> awesome. Yeah, um, I love these conversations. I love your passion and enthusiasm uh, and your open mind as well as your skeptic- your healthy skepticism. Um, it really kind of brings the conversation to a more grounding place because there's a lot of hype that's going on in the space, as we all know. And I've been infected by it to some degree. And I'm, it's had me be curious to look more into some of these technologies in these ecosystems that are forming, which I think are fantastic in theory. And we'll see in practicality what happens. Uh, but thank you again, Dale, for just your time, your, your enthusiasm, uh, and being part of our Straight Talk Live tribe and belonging yeah. here. So thank you very yeah, much for that. My pleasure. This is fun. I, 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 as I say, I really enjoy this. And I, I think this is a great topic. And I think that so much controversy, uh, opportunity, but also an awful lot of pitfalls. So I just say to everyone, be careful. I'm not saying you shouldn't do it. Just Mm -hmm. be careful and go into it with your eyes open. There's a lot of fraud and Ponzi schemes and overhype here. Uh, Some of it's real and and blockchains will happen. I I don't want to say that. Blockchains, absolutely. Public blockchains, government run, Absolutely. And sure, we're going to have blockchains for a lot of things. I think the NFTs are a good example, but we had trading cards before we had blockchains. We don't need a blockchain to do that. Yeah, blockchains make it useful. Great. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Got it. Got it. Well Brilliant. said. Well said. Thank you, Thank you Dale. Yeah. Very much appreciate you. Um, see you on the pickleball courts. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, guys. <laughs> and then last, really quick, next week, we're going to be talking to the author of Inside Money, Zachary Carabell around sustainable capitalism. It's going to be a very interesting topic that's very relevant today. So thank you all Straight Talk Livers. Go out there and invest smartly. Be well. Over and out. Sustainable capitalism. That's a good one. It is. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Be well, everyone. Thank you.